I want to start with a story that you may have heard before. It's about a lumberjack, a rookie lumberjack. This rookie lumberjack was so excited to start his work, chopping down lumber with an axe. And he went to work with his excitement and his youth, his enthusiasm, his strength. And he had a goal. He wanted to chop down more than the daily quota. He wanted to chop down more trees in a day than anybody else. The daily quota had been set at 15. And knowing you're a new guy, they wouldn't expect you to reach it right away, but he was going to reach it, and he was going to go right past it. So the first day he went out there, and he chopped, and he chopped, and he chopped, and at the end of the day, he cut down 12 trees. He was a little disappointed, but he thought, that's not bad for a rookie in his first day. He says, I'll do better the next day. And he went out the next day and he worked even harder. He swung that axe with all his strength and his muscle. He chopped away. He didn't hardly stop all day long. And at the end of the day, he chopped down 12 trees. So now he was a little disappointed. The next day he went out there and he worked as hard as he possibly could. And this day it was only 10 trees. And this continued to happen. By the end of two weeks, he was only chopping down five trees a day, and he was so frustrated that he went to one of the old geezers on the crew. And he said, I don't understand. I'm working my tail off, and I seem to be getting worse every day. And the old geezer looked at him and said, Son, I, I see the calluses and blisters on your hand. I know you're working hard. I can even see the muscles in your arm. You're already getting stronger even after two weeks. He said, but son, let me ask you one question. When's the last time you sharpened your axe? I read another quote from a lumberjack, and he said this. If someone gave me six hours to cut down a tree, I'd spend the first four hours sharpening my axe. I think as Christians, even as we were singing that song about we've been changed and, and what God has done for us, and how so often, at least I know in my life, I get frustrated with where I'm at. That I'm saying, still doing some of the same dumb things I used to do. Sad to say some of them are still residual from before I was even saved, and I've been saved quite some time. And sometimes I think we're kind of like that lumberjack. We have a goal, and actually we're in good shape because God has the same goal for us. He sent the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us, to transform us into the image of Christ. We are to be changing day by day, week by week, month by month, more into the image of Christ. Living like Him. Talking like Him but it doesn't seem to happen so often in so many of our lives. And sometimes it's in spurts. You ever have that where, gee, you're on this roll, it seems like that you and the Lord are actually on the same page, meaning I finally got on His. And then at other times it's like, Lord, I don't even know where you're at. Which really should cause us to say, I wonder where the heck I'm at. There's a couple of scriptures that I'm going to just read a little bit from Gospel of John, first chapter 15. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. It's a, a, a Jesus giving a parable that we're probably familiar with. He says, I'm the real vine, and my father is the farmer. 
He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape-bearing, He prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back to the, because of the message that I have spoken to you. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only if it's joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. I am the vine and you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown in the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me, and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who is His. And this is when you produce grapes and when you mature as my disciples. In Matthew 7, verse 18, it says, A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruit. Then you will know them. Then the world will know them by their fruit. As we become transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, as we live our lives in lockstep with the Holy Spirit, there should be evidence that the world sees. It should be inevitable. It should be as natural as a vine, a grapevine, getting its nutrients, growing, and bearing good fruit. It should be that natural. So then you will know them by their fruit. How are we as a Christian supposed to live? What does it mean to be a Christian? If we ask that question, if I ask that question here of us, we'd probably get a whole list of answers. And probably all of them would be pretty good. What does it mean to live like a Christian? Some people would get very legalistic. And they'd start rattling off a whole long list of rules and regulations. Uh, that's wrong. And some might go so far to the other side saying we can do anything we want because Jesus died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Uh, that would be wrong. But somewhere in the middle, what does it mean? How do we live like a Christian? Here's a very easy answer that might help you and me understand. A Christian lives their life like Jesus lived his life. I mentioned the WWJD bracelet a few weeks ago. A Christian, that's the wrong question. It's the wrong mindset. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but a Christian shouldn't stop at what would Jesus do. It should be do what Jesus would do. That's what we as Christians should be looking at and living by. How do we do what Jesus would do? I mean, it's easy sometimes, you know, you can maybe think of situations or circumstances in your life when you felt this inner prompting. You may or maybe not recognize it as the Holy Spirit, doesn't matter, but you saw a need that someone had. And you felt like, you know, I, I, could, I could meet that need. I might have to go out of my way a little bit. It's going to cost me a little bit, but I, I could go do that. And most of us would probably say if we step back a little bit and say, yeah, I wonder what Jesus would do. Well, we probably know exactly what Jesus would do. 
But the big question then becomes, will I do it? Will I do it? Will I take this opportunity that's before me to demonstrate Jesus to those around me? Will I do what Jesus would do? How are we supposed to live as a Christian? What's it supposed to look like? Would the people around me recognize me as a Christian? In other words, is there enough evidence to convict us? And that's the title of my message. Is there evidence to convict? If you were accused of being a Christian, probably heard that question before. Is there evidence to convict? How do we know how we're supposed to look? Well, the good news is this. As Christians, we have the Bible, and the Bible, God takes, goes to great lengths and great effort in the Bible to tell us what we should look like. And one of the best descriptions, I think, is in Galatians chapter 5. And that's where we're going to be looking today, in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read it in just a moment. But I think you'll see the answer to the question, how is a Christian supposed to live, is simple. Live by the Spirit. And then it gets complicated. But that's the answer. I'm going to start in verse 16 of Genesis, uh, Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For the, those are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, obvious, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I wish that was a complete list, but then he has said things like these, like there's even more of which I warn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. How do we live a life that looks like Christ? How do we live a life that demonstrates Jesus to the world around us? Live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. It's kind of a mind-boggling, impossible to comprehend with this small brain I have, that the Holy Spirit, God, lives in me. And He loves me. And He wants to transform me because he has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for my life. You know, most of us have screwed things up so bad, we question everything about what God has for us or if we deserve anything from him. We sang about being a child of God, which we are because of Jesus Christ. And if we're children of God, the Bible says in Romans, if we're children, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. 
doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter what your past looks like. Once you have accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, your sins have been forgiven and you're set free. And then we can do what this says we are supposed to do. And it's still not easy. And we'll look at some of that in just a minute. We're eventually going to be talking more about the fruit of the Spirit, but probably not very much today specifically. I kind of want to set the stage for what Paul is trying to do here in Galatians. The Galatian church, things were a little messy. There were lots of false doctrines being taught, lots of legalism creeping in. They were Jews who had become Christians, but they wouldn't let go of their Jewish traditions, and they were trying to force them on the people, the, the believers. Galatia was in the country that we would call Turkey today. And Paul had been there on all three of his missionary journeys. He'd invested in them, he'd planted the church, he had trained them, he had taught them. And yet, as soon as some other false teachers came, the people started listening and things got stirred up. And if you read through the book of Galatians, Paul does a whole lot of comparing one thing to another. And in this case, he's comparing a life led by the sin nature or the old nature or the flesh versus a life led by the Spirit of God. And he says, as I just read, and we'll see as we go further here, he says, it should be obvious. You don't have to be a genius or a theologian. You don't need to get out your lexicons to understand what it looks like if you live in the flesh versus living in the Spirit. So let's look. How is a Christian to live? I'm going to try to answer three questions, and hopefully we'll get a better understanding of how we can look more like Jesus in the way we live our lives. The first question is, how is a Christian to live? The second question will be, who am I living for in my life? And then the third question will be, what does it take to live a Spirit-led life? I want to read back in Galatians now, verses 16 and 17. And I'm reading this one in the NIV. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That phrase there, sinful nature, I'm going to talk about in just a minute, but it probably should be translated flesh. Those two words come from one Greek word. Do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want to do. How do you live a Christian life? First thing is this, you need to live a different life. It needs to be different. Different than the world and different than what it looked like before you got saved. I know some of you were really good people before you got saved, but it should still look different. Some of us that weren't such good people, it should look really, really different. But we need to look different, led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Paul says, live by the Spirit, not the flesh. Now some of your, your translations call it the sinful nature. Um, I'm going to share why I don't like it being called that so much. But I want you to know that there's one of the, this is another one of those issues where the theologians don't agree. And it's not a big deal, but it's kind of a big deal in my mind. See, the sinful nature, we are born 
with the sinful nature. It came from Adam. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's that sin nature, the old nature, the old man, the flesh, if you would, is how it's referred to in the Scripture. And then when we get introduced to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we accept who He is and what He's done. We realize that He is the Son of God, that He was crucified as a sinless, spotless sacrifice for our sins, for my sin. And we accept that by faith and confess Him as Lord of our life. And that's where we start sliding down a slippery slope. If He's Lord of our life, that means He controls our life. That means He leads us in our life. That means we're going to be led by Him and walk with Him by the Spirit. The Greek word is sarx. There where, and it simply means the flesh, the blood, the muscle, the flesh, or the sensual part of mankind. And I believe, I personally believe, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us, that sinful nature is removed. Now, there are many others that would disagree with me, just so you know. There are many others that would say we have a sinful nature and now we have this born-again nature and it's in us warring all the time. Now, I really don't care what theology you want to go there with, what direction you take, but I, I personally believe that that sinful nature is no longer there. And then you might say, Mike, how come you still sin? Oh, it's because I'm really good at it. I've been doing it a long time. No, seriously, why do I still sin? I believe the sinful nature has been removed. But I am still Mike. I'm still flesh and blood. I still have a mind that has not been totally renewed by the, God, the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. I'm living in a body that has not been completely sanctified and it's not going to be done until we go to glory. So I still have a lot of that old residual stuff in me. Old lusts, old desires, old drives, old issues. But I believe once you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there is a dramatic change and now the power of that sin nature that we used to have to control us is gone. It does not control us anymore. We have the ability to make right choices. And we have the Holy Spirit prompting us, encouraging us, and teaching us to make right choices if we choose to do so. We ne need to learn to live according to the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. It doesn't come natural. It takes time. It's a process. But we have the Holy Spirit in us who is constantly trying to teach us and encourage us and lead us that way if we're willing to. So even though we fail, is the desire there? If there is no desire to let go of those things that we know are sinful, we might have some serious issues. Doesn't mean they won't arise and every now and then win against what we know we should do. But it means when it happens, conviction sets in and we are quick to repent and turn away and not go there anymore. 
no matter how many times we mess up, is that the desire of our heart to be led by the Spirit and to look different. At the end of that verse that I read, verse 17, that you do not do what you want. We have the ability, whatever your theology, if you believe there's two natures fighting against one another, or you think more like I do, that that sin nature is gone, but all this old junk is still there, and they're fighting against one another. In either case, the outcome's the same. There is a battle. But we have been set free to choose what way we want to go. I want to read a few verses from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, we have been set free. We are no longer condemned by the law. Our sin nature is no longer controlling us. We have been set free. Don't return to all this legalistic garbage. Don't let other people put this legalistic yoke around you. You have been set free. And it goes on and says this in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, love one another. Serve one another. So he's saying you've been set free and who Christ sets free is truly free, but don't blow it with this new freedom. It doesn't mean you're free to do whatever you want. It means that you are free to be able to choose to do what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Where before you couldn't, it says you were slaves to sin. That's not a cop-out for someone who isn't a believer to do bad stuff. But it's true. Slaves to sin, but we have been set free. And verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, if you are led by the Spirit, if you are led by the Spirit, the things that you do led by the Spirit, there is no law to condemn you if we're living by the Spirit. Living in freedom. Free from the power and the control of sin. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Free to live a life led by the Holy Spirit. Free to lead a life that will look like Jesus. Free to obey God as He leads you in the plans and purposes and destiny that He has for your life. I believe with my whole heart that an unbeliever, no matter how successful, how good a life they live, will never achieve the fullness of the destiny that God has for them. It's impossible. But it is possible for a believer as we learn to live as the Holy Spirit leads to fulfill our destiny. How is a Christian to live? Differently and in freedom. Second question. Who am I living for? Now this gets a little painful. You might want to put your feet under your chair so no one steps on them. It's obvious who we're living for. If you don't know who you're living for, this verse that we're going to read kind of can say, ask yourself, how are you doing here? Starting in verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature or flesh, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality. And boy, does that word encompass a lot of sexual sin. Fornication, adultery, homosexuality, 
It's all in that package. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, arguing, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such things like these. Like the list isn't long enough. Who are we living for? If we're living a self-centered life, it will always lead to sin. Always. Because the self-centeredness is in itself sin. And he says the outcome, Paul is saying this, not me, thank goodness. He's saying it's obvious. All you have to do is look at your life. And I just like to remind myself sometimes, and I want to remind you, everybody else is looking at your life. Because they think you're goody-two-shoes and you're better than them and they're mine, you're mine. They think you're filled with yourself, you're a Jesus freak and all that stuff. I hope what they see confirms their thinking. That you're different. That you're different. That you are a Jesus freak and want to just become like He is. Because that's what God wants. That's what the Holy Spirit is working on us to accomplish in our lives. Paul is saying here, if you don't know how your life looks, look at your life. And we can make all kinds of excuses. All kinds. I think it was Alan who said in Bible class this morning, well, I don't look so bad, look at him. I don't look so bad. Look at her. Yeah, I get drunk once in a while, but they're drunk all the time. I only cheated once on my wife. Look at them. Wrong standard. As was brought out in adult Sunday school, there's only one standard to compare ourselves to as Christians, and that's Christ. We don't do so good. So we're all in the same boat. So if you're feeling condemned and convicted, that's okay because we all should be feeling convicted. And condemned if it were not for Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. We now live in freedom. Free from the power of sin and death. And He gives a warning. And I think that warning needs to be mentioned and, and maybe clarified where He says, if you're living like this, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Anyone living like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, does that mean if I did this, I'm not going to heaven? Does that mean if I said this, did this, I'm, I'm going to hell? No, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. Depending on your translation, it might say those that do these things or those that practice these things. And really, if you would study the words that are translated. Basically what it's saying is those who habitually and intentionally continue living in this lifestyle are going to hinder the kingdom of heaven. If there's intent and it's considered over and over and you really don't care about it, that's what's being inferred here with this statement. I need to change. I need to be different. I want to change. I want to be different. 
but I still got, it's like Paul crying out when he's writing. He says, boy, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. I'm chief amongst the sinners. What is going on in my life? There's a battle. And that battle does not end the moment you get saved. As a matter of fact, for a lot of us, it intensifies. Whether you believe there's two natures fighting or it's my flesh and all of that residual garbage and, and the, the allure of sin, and they're fighting against the Spirit of God, whichever way, there's a battle going on. And we're going to lose some of those battles. But if we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in us, the victory has already been won, and we have freedom to choose. And then God, in His amazing plan and His graciousness, gives us the grace to choose right. And then to stand strong against whatever temptation may come. But the reality is we need to choose. As a believer, I'm a new man. As a believer, you're a new man. We are new creations in Christ. But we aren't perfect. Spiritually, positionally in Christ, if you get that, we're perfect. But practically, living it out here on this earth, we're not. We're not. None of us. And we won't be perfect until we get a new body, our mind is renewed, and we're in the presence of God. It's just not going to happen. So we must choose. Intentionally choose. Who am I living for? Who am I living for? How does a Christian to live? Who am I living for? Brings me to the third question I said we were going to address. How do we do this? In Galatians 5.22, it says living by the Spirit. It says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these there is no law. There's no law against them. Against them there is no law that's going to contend us, condemn us. If we're going to live a life like Jesus, we need to surrender, and it will be just as obvious as those who choose to live for self. Before I go into answering that third question, I, I just want to share with you something that I read this week about the fruit of the Spirit. Notice when you read it, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit, singular, first of all. It took me a long time to figure that one out. I always figured, I'm doing okay in five out of nine, pretty good shape. Seven out of nine. And that patience thing, I don't know so good. Gentleness, um, what's that? And I could list a couple more. But one fruit, nine expressions of that one fruit are given here. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit that should be growing in us, contains all nine of these expressions. And many would argue that there's more expressions than the nine that Paul listed here. And I would tend to agree. But he lists clearly nine of them here. And the first one he lists is love. Love. Earlier in this chapter, he talked about 
the greatest commandment. Love the neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. And if you look at this, and I'm going to share, this is not my thought. This is from a pastor's uh, message from uh, 2005, I think it was. The pastor was an AG pastor, and his name was D. Greg Ebby. No idea where he's from. But he said this. Love is the blossom which produces the fruit. I like that picture. You know, when fruit's going to grow, the first thing you see is the blossom, regardless of the fruit. Without the blossom, the fruit doesn't grow. So here he, say, he is saying, look at it this way, love is the blossom, and out of that flower, out of that blossom, comes all these other expressions of fruit. And he, he had a list, and I don't know if it's up there yet or not, but this list, love, then it says joy. Joy is love. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Peace is love. Trusting. Patience is love. Enduring. Kindness is love. Serving. Goodness is love. Extending. Faithfulness is love. Proving. Gentleness is love teaching, and self-control is love restraining. I really like that. Love. God is love. Our love, that, that agape love that can flow through us, that we can be conduits to the world, that kind of agape love that allows us to demonstrate the joy, the peace, the patience, and all the other expressions of that fruit that Jesus himself demonstrated while he was on the earth. Love. So what does it take? I think most of us would agree that we should look different as Christians. We can live in the freedom that Christ died to set us free from all the bondage of sin. I think we could say and agree that there's definitely a distinct difference between living in the flesh and living led by the Holy Spirit as we should as a born-again Christian the fruit versus all of those sins that were mentioned. But how do we do it? And one thing about Paul, he always gives you a how-to. And he does it here also in verses 24 and 25. I think he shows at least two distinct things that have to happen if we're going to live it out. He says this. Now though, I'm starting in verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And we live by the Spirit. Let us also walk by the Spirit. The first thing that we need to do is die to self. Notice when it, you read that verse, who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. We couldn't even crucify the flesh and its passions and lusts if we have not accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. Oh, we can modify and train a little bit, but the bottom, the, the truth of the matter is, unless your heart changes, Pastor Casey shared a couple of weeks ago, unless the heart changes, all this other stuff isn't going to last very long. We need to crucify the flesh. And how many of you know this? Crucifixion is painful. It hurts. As, as we are crucifying the flesh, Meaning, as I am surrendering my selfishness, my desires, lusts, and passions to the leading of the Holy Spirit, 
I'm choosing, I'm crucifying my flesh, sometimes it's painful. But we need to understand, though God loves us unconditionally and we are His children, He is way more concerned about your character and my character than He is our comfort. And He'll allow these painful things. Sometimes we call a lot of those things we're supposed to learn from consequences of bad choices. Notice he says he'll walk us through it, but he's not going to deliver us necessarily from it. And the second thing I want us to see there is let us also walk by the Spirit. I spoke last week on perseverance. That's perseverance. Going on when you can't keep going. Going on when you can't keep going. I'm going to walk by the Spirit. I'm not going to walk by the flesh. Ah, I messed up again. I'm going to go on again. Persevere, persevere, persevere. Continue on. I'm going to read Galatians 5.25 from the message. I think I have that on a slide also. The message Bible elaborates a little differently. It says this, Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we don't just hold it as an idea in our heads, or a sentiment in our hearts. Don't just agree up here. Persevere. Do something about it. But work out its implications in every detail of your life. We have a responsibility to make the choices. The Holy Spirit will reveal to us what's right and what's wrong. As soon as we make the choice, God releases His grace in our lives to live victorious. That's a huge difference. When we make a right choice prompted by the Holy Spirit, God releases His grace to be that overcomer. He gives us the strength that we need to make the right choice. Man, when I'm doing it in my own strength, it doesn't work very well. Now, I'm not saying, I'm going to use an example here. It just popped into my head, and I usually get in trouble when I do that. You know, <clears throat> because I'm tall, I tell people I need to lose 50, 60 pounds, and they think, oh, you don't look that big. I'm that big. So I decide I'm going to diet. Notice, I decide I'm going to diet. Why? Because when I look in the mirror, I don't like that guy. He looks like my dad used to look. And I, I mean, I'm really good at one thing for sure when it comes to dieting, failing. <laughs> I fail. In my life, the times I've dieted, when I have really prayed and felt a conviction by the Holy Spirit that, Mike, you need to be a better steward of your body. It's not so hard. There's grace. There's grace to, to not eat. I'm not even going to go into what I eat. There's, I, there's grace to turn that stuff away. Not do it. But when I do it in my own strength, it's just a battle. And sometimes I can be stubborn enough to see some results, but as you can tell, most of you don't believe my story because you haven't seen any of the results. But there are times. And our life is like that in so many other areas. You know, when the Holy Spirit convicts me of stewarding my body, if I don't do it, guess what? It's called sin. 
So you know what I do? I do what a lot of us all do. I don't listen. I don't listen. I've already made a predetermined choice. I'm not going to listen. I bet most of us, if we would think about some of the things we do that we know we shouldn't do, we've already made a predetermined choice. We're going to do it anyway. I think I want to go do this, that, or the other thing, but I'm going to pray about it first. Yep, I'm going. It got a green light. And you go, what? That's obvious because it's in this list over here. And it's not down in that list of fruit. We choose not to listen. We need to persevere even when we fail. Keep walking in the Holy Spirit. Paul is just saying, don't quit. Don't quit. That besetting sin, there is grace to overcome it. That lust or passion or desire that your flesh seems to win every time, there is grace to resist it. We can overcome by the grace of God, by the Spirit that lives in us. And that's what we're called to do. It will affect every area of our life. So when you look at the fruit, look at it singularly. There is love, there's joy, there's peace. There's patience, kindness, goodness. Wow. What a list. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And this other one is the one I usually don't do well at when I had all these separate fruits. Self-control. Self-control. The Holy Spirit. This is fruit of the Holy Spirit now. Self-control. All I have to do is surrender to it. So in the next week or two, we're going to be looking a little bit more at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's lots of things about the Holy Spirit that are exciting to talk about. The Holy Spirit does amazing things. The Holy Spirit's involved with all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles. But, you know, this one doesn't get talked about near as much. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Does the world see Jesus when they see you and me? Does God see Jesus when he sees you and me? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us. God, all of these things, if there, whatever it is you would call us to do, you would give us the grace to do it. I thank you, Lord. Forgive us when we operate in our own strengths for wrong motives and wrong purposes. Father, that we live our lives in a way that would bring glory and honor to you, and that would drive us. I want to bring glory to God. Is the way I'm living bringing glory to God? Father, you call us sons and daughters. We all know in the natural at times we need, to, we need to redirect, rebuke, correct, discipline our sons and daughters. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that in our lives, that we would be transformed by the Holy Spirit into the image of Jesus. You have called us to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. May we look like Jesus Christ. May the love of God, the love of Jesus, permeate all that we do. And would all of this bring glory and honor to you. So Lord, I pray that you would take the words that Paul has written and challenge us and encourage us. Give us hope where we're frustrated. God, that we might become more like you. More like your son Jesus. And I pray, Lord, as we go our different directions now, that you would go with us, be with us, watch over us, protect us. Again, Lord, we do pray for all of those that would be out hunting 
Father, keep them safe. Father, we pray that all we do brings you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.